Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 157. Kyle Rosner. That snow turned red in a hurry. Action track chair deer hunting, Wisconsin cornfields, and cedar swamps. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Today's show is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. This is Gordon Whittington, Editor-in-Chief at North American Whitetail Magazine, and you're about to listen to another great episode of the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Hi, this is Shane Mahoney from Conservation Visions Incorporated, and I'm listening now to one of my favorite hunting podcasts, Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey guys, this is Kelvin Wilcox here at Vapor Products. A favorite deer hunting podcast with Jay and Dusty. Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. My name is Jay and you know I'm pumped that you have decided to push that play button one more time on your audio device, whatever that may be, whether it's a computer or an iPhone or Android or whatever it is you're listening to the show on. Maybe you're in your car, I have no idea, or your truck or your Jeep, whatever, wherever you are right now listening to the show, thank you for pushing that play button and giving me your ear for the next hour. We have a fantastic show for you lined up once again today. But before we get to our guest, I would like to introduce to you, as I do each and every week, our co-host, the Buckeye from Ohio, Dusty Phillips. Dusty, what's happening? Ah, uh, just uh, another beautiful day, Jay. You? I cannot complain. So I've, I've heard you, ha- you have had a busy day. Yeah, it's definitely been one of one of them crazy, nonstop, full of activities, uh, kind of poo-smelling type of days, you know? And that's that's okay, man. There's nothing wrong with that. It's good, good hard days worth of activity, and I love it. It's hot, man. It's hot in July. Did you know, did you know that deer season has kicked off already? No way. Where? Okay, so I didn't realize this either until we had got a picture sent in from Dave, a guy named Dave, out in California, sends in this picture and says he arrowed it on 7-9-2016. Like, it doesn't make, I didn't know deer season had started somewhere. So I thought, well, maybe we got an illegal kill here, and I'm not going to post this on the Facebook page. But lo and behold, I did some research in Southern California. No kidding. There is a bow season that has already started. And it started on the 9th. And son of a gun, Dave scored. And it's if you go to our Instagram account, you'll see it. Dave's buck. Um, it's a blacktail, and it's all in velvet. Couldn't believe That's it. That's awesome, dude. That is awesome. Deer season is underway. It's official. I'm kind of jealous, really. Yeah, yeah, I know. So how the heck do I get to hunt in California in that bee zone out there in July? I don't know how we do that, but we need to figure that out. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. That's uh that's awesome. Really, I'm I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> no, I was the same way. Like, no way. This, this can't be right. Must be an old picture and a wrong date. But son of a gun, there is a season going on right now as we speak. Man, that's intense. It is intense. It's going to be the earliest, earliest season in the country. Yeah, so, I might just have to move there and address in Ohio and live there and address there and right there on Ohio and just hunt everywhere. Why not? <laughs> New Hampshire, just hunt everywhere. What's wrong with hunting everywhere? I have I don't see any issues with that. 
I don't see it either. I don't see no issues at all, you know. And definitely, uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in with us every week, man. It's just like, you know, it's one of them things where I know I can't live without it, and, and I co-host it. And I, I couldn't imagine being a listener and a, somebody that's a follower and a friend to us, you know, how they feel week after week, man. We just, I'm pumped up to be here, and I know the listeners and, and everybody that uh, follows us has got to be just jazzed up about a podcast every week. I would certainly hope so. And, you know, it's hopefully we've got you hooked and you're listening to the show each and every week. And thank you for everybody who has subscribed to the show on iTunes, by the way. And thank you if you have left us a review. If you haven't left us a review, please do so. We could really use that. We, the more feedback we get, the better off we are. And we get some feedback by email. But I, I like the reviews on iTunes, too, and it certainly helps us in the rankings. So if you haven't done that already, please do so. I did get a letter this week, Dusty, from... Uh, guy by the name of Kurt Prill, and he had some comments after our Jeremy Ballantyne and Johnny Brown uh, interview that we had uh, with In, In Pursuit 365, and I'd like to read it to you if that's all right. Yeah, for sure. All right, says, Jay, Jeremy mentioned that his pet peeve, this is about pet peeves, by the way, pet peeves was one of other hunters messing you up on public land when you they know you're there. He said that if he sees a tree stand on public land, he'll not go in that area all fall. I like to share my opinion on this topic. That type of attitude is is my pet peeve. I stay out of the general area if I find tree stands, but for different reasons. I know the average hunter isn't as cautious as I am regarding wind direction and scent control, and so, in general, the mature bucks will not be using the trails near their stands. However, this is ludicrous to say that no one should go in that 20, 30, or 100-acre area all fall because someone hung a tree stand there and that they may hunt two or three days all fall, if at all. Who is to say another hunter isn't after the same deer and has prepared 6 to 12 trees in the same area and he uses a mobile setup? No hunter has more right than another on public land. Prime example of this has happened in my area two falls ago. There was a 180-inch non-typical running around in the mountains of Pennsylvania that several hunters were after. He used private and public land and the hunters who knew him the best ended up not shooting him. It was a guy who sat on the quote-unquote community ladder stand a ladder stand abandoned on public ground who was up for an afternoon and had never seen the deer. Good for that hunter, Kurt. So it, it does raise an interesting topic about when should you and when should you not go into a piece of property. To Jeremy, that was a pet peeve. Like he just liked to stay clear or if he was in a piece of property, he really hated it when other hunters came in. I understand Kurt's point very much so that if it's public land, it's, it's, it's fair use basically. And you should have some respect, but it sounds like this guy's even sharper than that. He knows that if he hunts on that property and just stays clear of the, of their stands, the chances of him having a, a score probably higher. However, then there was this guy that was just on the community ladder and ended up shooting the deer everybody was after anyway. So I think there's also an element of luck. So what, what do you do in that situation, Dusty? I mean, you don't hunt a lot of public land. You have private relationships in Ohio, but how do you handle that? You know, it just... You gotta respect other hunters, you know. Even though it's public ground and you have access to any trees there in in the woods that's on public ground, if somebody's got a full blown set up there and they're already established and they've got some shooting lanes cut out, and, you know, just be another hunter and and respect that that they've got their setup going, and you kind of just skirt by it or skirt around it and 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 let them hunt that area. You know, you, you're all after the same thing and and. You know, it's not it's not all about the trophy. It's about the experience. And when you when you bump somebody's setup like that and set up close to them or set up real, you know, local to them, there, you know, you, you're making it a bad experience for everybody. You know, and they're going to be disgruntled, and you're taking a chance that they're going to do something that could put your hunt and your life in jeopardy. 
You know, just just be respectful. That that's the way I would handle it. You know, if somebody comes in on me and and maybe maybe they don't see your setup fifty yards away, leave them a little note in a plastic baggie or something. Let them hey, you know, I've been here for you know x amount of days or months or whatever you've been there, and say hey, if you wouldn't mind, I'd appreciate it that uh, you would move your setup elsewhere. You know, right? Just be courteous to each other. It's not always going to pan out the way you think it should or the way you want it or. You know, it may boil down where you got to actually move all your stuff because they disrespected you. you know, that that's that's that is the chance that you take it on public ground, and that, that's just part of the game. Yep, it, you have to kind of maneuver around the other hunters as well as trying to get into that same spot. So it, there's a new element that uh, of challenge there. There's a there's a new element that you don't have on on private ground. But yes, everybody should be respectful of every other uh, other hunters area that they're trying to hunt but then again if they're not in that area and it's public doesn't mean they get to claim that spot it's not their land so you know it's one thing if they're already in their stand yeah yeah they, they they're there first you go somewhere else but and don't mess with that spot you know if they're there but then again if they're not hunting that day then it's kind of free grant free free reign as far as i'm concerned yeah i, I agree to that but you know if, if you know going in that you're setting up something permanent uh i disagree with sitting right up next to somebody Oh yeah, I would never sit right up next to somebody. Not not, but you know, if it's a uh, two miles away or a mile away or you know, f- three acres away, sure, no problem. Right? Oh yeah, you use the land. I mean, you know, you figure if you put 150 yards between you and another hunter, the odds are if you seeing each other or you know, that's pretty slim. You got to be thinking, you know, if it's archery season or shotgun season, you know, you're taking a chance with your life, shotgun season, but archery season, not too much. Right. Right. And sometimes it's a safety factor, like you just mentioned. Yeah, just be safe and be smart and, you know, use use what you think best hunter ethic is and, and go on with your hunt and enjoy yourself and, and uh, appreciate that you have access to the public land. Yep, exactly. So our guest this week, Dusty, is Kyle Rosner. Kyle is from Wisconsin, and Kyle had a, a bad car accident, left him paralyzed, and now he uses an action track chair to get around the woods as some of our other friends uh, that we know very closely and are good personal friends use today. He's finding some great success with it and actually sending a, bu- a picture of a buck that he shot. And it's a tremendous Wisconsin whitetail. So he's actually having some big time success out there and he's had to adapt his lifestyle to his situation, but didn't let his situation stop him from getting out in the field and found solutions to the, the problems. Basically he's a problem solver. And he's still having fun. He's very upbeat. And I thought it was a great person to profile on our show because he's so engaged in hunting and so pro-hunting that, uh, and, and an inspiration to anybody that might find themselves in a similar situation. Get back out there. You know, don't, don't let life uh, in any way slow you down. Go do the things you love to do. So Kyle Rosner is joining us in just a bit. But before we get there, let's turn to Jim Keller with the Deer News. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. In our first story this week, hunters and farmers provide 110 tons of meat to the hungry. This story was originally written by Josh Williams on OutdoorWire.com. The Farmers and Hunters Feeding the Hungry, the FHFH Ministry, distributed over 110 tons of nutritious meat to the hungry this past year, enough to provide over 880,000 servings to hungry men, women, and children across America. Since 1997, FHFH has coordinated and paid for the donation, processing, and distribution of an astounding 17.8 million meals. There are people struggling with hunger in every single 
County across this nation, said FHFH Executive Director Josh Wilson. As hunters, we're so blessed and we have so much to give. It's a privilege to help people tackle the hunger problem by donating some of their harvest to feed their neighbors. Inspired by a passion for the outdoors and compassion for the needy, FHFH is committed to addressing the problem of hunger in America. With volunteers serving in 29 states, FHFH supports local feeding programs in a unique and relevant way. The organization welcomes new supporters and volunteers to join the cause. Those interested in learning more can visit www.fhfh.org or call toll-free 1-866-438-3434 or email staff at fhfh.org for more information about the ministry. Morale mushroom poachers busted with 243 pounds at Crater Lake. This story comes from OutdoorHub.com. Crater Lake National Park Rangers seized more than 234 pounds of illegal harvested morale mushrooms during the 4th of July weekend. The estimated market value of the confiscated mushrooms is $7,944, but it's likely worth much more. National Park Rangers worked in close collaboration with law enforcement professionals from the Oregon State Police, U.S. Forest Service, and the Douglas County Sheriff's Office, and made contact with dozens of individuals suspected of harvesting mushrooms. Harvesting from national parks is prohibited and can result in fines of up to $5,000 and or a maximum of six months in jail. During the summer of 2015, the National Creek Complex, the largest fire in the park's recorded history, burned 20,960 acres in Crater Lake National Park in the adjacent Rogue River Siskiyou National Forest. The area affected by the wildfire has been favorable for morale mushrooms. Be sure to check out OutdoorHub.com to see the picture of 234 pounds of morales. Wasting Disease Found in Southwest Colorado Deer This article was originally reported by Gary Harmon of the Grand Junction Daily Sentinel. Chronic wasting disease was found in a deer that died this spring near Montrose, prompting officials to offer free testing of roadkill and deer killed by hunters. The diagnosis brings to 77 the number of game management units in which chronic wasting disease has been found. Colorado has 186 game management units. It's the first time a deer infected with the disease has been found in southwest Colorado. Deer harvested are found dead on roads in the three game management units around Montrose, which are units 62, 64, and 65, can be tested at no charge by Colorado Parks and Wildlife. The heads of animals from other units can be tested for $25. Though the discovery is a first for the area, chronic wasting disease has long been known in the northern tier of Colorado counties. It's unknown how or where the deer contracted the disease. Wildlife officials were called this spring by a private property owner who said the deer, a buck, seems sick. Anyone who sees a deer, elk, or moose acting strangely or looking sick is urged to contact the nearest Parks and Wildlife office so a wildlife officer can inspect the animal. University of Washington study. More cougars could save lives, reduce crashes by lowering deer population. This article was originally reported by Channel 4 KO. MONews.com website. A new study by the University of Washington says bringing back wild cougars to the eastern United States could save scores of lives by thinning the deer population, which caused more than one million vehicle crashes each year. The study says that deer, with their soft, liquid eyes and timid demeanor, are North America's most dangerous mammal to humans because of the frequent collisions with motor vehicles. Each year, deer cause 1.2 million crashes in the U.S., triggering more than 200 deaths, some 29,000 injuries, and 1.66 billion in 
in costs associated with vehicle damage, medical bills, and road cleanup. These staggering figures are in part because deer's natural predators, large carnivores such as wolves and cougars, have declined in population, leaving large ungulates like deer to reproduce mostly unchecked, said the UW study. If cougars were to recolonize the eastern U.S. within the next 30 years, they could thin deer populations and reduce vehicle collisions by 22% each year, preventing five human fatalities, 680 injuries, and avoid costs of $50 million, says the study by a team that included the University of Washington's Laura Prue. The important take-home is that there can be very tangible benefits to having large carnivores around, economic and social benefits, not just ecological benefits, said Prue, a UW assistant professor of quantitative wildlife sciences in the School of Environmental and Forest Sciences. She concedes that cougars and other large carnivores are controversial in populated or suburban areas, generating a lot of fear, anxiety, and resistance. We are hoping that showing people how their lives could really benefit in a tangible way from having large carnivores around could help people become more accepting of living with them, Prue said. Cougars, also called mountain lions, used to live throughout most of the U.S. and Canada. State-sponsored bounty hunts to protect livestock and humans from the cats led to their complete removal from the Midwest and eastern states by the early 20th century. In the meantime, without as many predators, the deer population has grown across the U.S., particularly in the eastern states. The researchers calculated the cougar's impact by comparing white-tailed deer population densities and the number of deer killed by vehicles with and without cougar predation. Their models showed that cumulatively over 30 years, at least 155 human deaths and more than 21,000 injuries could be prevented by the presence of cougars in 19 eastern states. A single cougar would kill at least 259 deer over its six-year lifespan, preventing eight collisions and saving nearly $40,000 in associated costs, the study showed. Editorial note. Are these people serious? Maybe they should check with the people in California to see how their urban mountain lion herd is fitting into their neighborhoods. Have they considered the ever-growing population in the eastern U.S. and how the mountain lions will like housing development lifestyle? They call the white-tailed deer North America's quote-unquote most dangerous mammal. I suggest we put one of the study participants in a fence with a white-tail and one with a mountain lion and see if maybe they change their quote-unquote most dangerous mammal study results. We already have large carnivores in the eastern U.S. that create economic and social benefits. They're called humans. It would be interesting to find out who funded this quote-unquote study and to find out if any of the study participants have ever even been east of the Mississippi. Stay tuned next week for my story on how reintroducing grizzly bears in certain Pacific Northwest big cities could help prove certain theories proposed by Charles Darwin. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. If you have any ideas on future topics or have questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller for the Deer News. Without further ado, here's Kyle Rosner. Kyle Rosner, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Hey, living the dream, brother. What's happening? Oh, not much. Just a uh, storm rolling in here in Wisconsin. So, Kyle, tell me about yourself. Where, where are you from? I know you just said you were from here in Wisconsin. Are you from there originally? I um, I was originally from Pulaski, Wisconsin, and um, after uh, my car accident four years ago, I uh, relocated out by my uncle's house out here in Black Creek, Wisconsin, which it's, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes apart, so really not too far apart now. And did you, did you grow up in Wisconsin? Day one, born and raised in Green Bay, starting out. Green so, Bay, all right. So you're a Packers fan. Oh, yeah. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. All right. My second favorite team in the whole world, just so you know. Oh, what's first? You don't want to know. 
Oh, probably not. You guys beat us in a in a Super Bowl a long time ago. Just so you, oh, you yeah. can probably figure it out from hey, there. Hey, hey, that's all that counts, right? Right. So you grew up in Wisconsin. What was life like growing up? You know, I was I, I started out in the city. We moved to out to Pulaski, like I said, which was way nicer. Small town, you know everybody. I mean, it's easy to easier to grow up and good school district out there, and you know everyone and easy to get along with everybody. So. So yet, uh, pleasant childhood. Oh, definitely. Yep. You you had an accident that changed your life forever. You wanna you wanna give us the details on that? Yeah, actually, uh, April first. So April Fool's Day wasn't the best day to get in an accident because when somebody posted on good old Facebook, a lot of people think it's a joke. But uh, April first, two thousand twelve, uh, me and my buddy were on our way home one evening and uh, we ended up rolling his truck, and I I ended up breaking my neck. C6, C7 on my spinal cord and um, ended up going to a local hospital. It was too foggy to fly at that time. They waited for that uh, fog to clear in the morning and uh, brought me down to Madison, Wisconsin, where uh, they brought me down to the college school down there and um, pretty much went from there. They did the surgery. I spent uh, about 12 days down there in the ICU. Then they sent me back up here to Green Bay where I went on to do um, a lot of therapy. And I spent just about 90 days in the hospital there. Mm. So that was a long stretch, but it was nice when I finally got moved back up here. I was closer to family and friends, so a lot easier for everybody to visit. So that changed your life and changed your life in ways I'm sure you never imagined. You know, who who thinks, you know, when you're on your way home, you're not going to make it home, you know? Right. Everybody, you always assume in the back of your head that I'm going to pull into that driveway just like I have the the other thousand plus times before. Oh, exactly. And nothing in between. It might, you know, you might have a little scare, but you always pass. So you, you must have been a deer hunter prior to your accident. Oh yeah. Yep. Grew up in a deer hunting family. We, uh, we spent most of our time, not as much archery hunting i would say we i love shooting bow i mean since i was little me and my buddies we would set up courses in their woods and have our own little tournaments we shot league and everything like that but uh we started uh mostly gun hunting up by my grandparents cabin up in vilas county and that was uh it was always a great time growing up but unfortunately believe it or not i was more into the waterfall hunting before my accident that's what really drove me i guess you could say i wouldn't apologize for that man hunting (laughs) hunting is hunting we just like deer hunting on this show just because it's something we like to talk about it but i think all of us who who deer hunt have engaged in other forms of hunting and we just enjoy hunting period it doesn't necessarily have to be deer hunting so don't apologize for that aspect that's still all good man Oh, I, I, I guess in a weird way about it, I'm apologizing myself that I didn't start bow hunting earlier because when you bow hunt and waterfall hunt, it's it's really tough because the same time of year, same time you're going out, so you got to kind of pick one or the other. And I pick waterfall hunting, but now since my accident, I've realized that it's a lot easier for one person to help me get out in the woods, and I can be set there and I can do what I got to do. I can bow hunt right. other than you know going out and setting up a bunch of decoys and hey i got my three shots and with since my accident i lost the i can move my arms in my wrist but for my hands i can't move my fingers so i'd be limited to my three shots waterfall hunting and well there i sit i guess <laughs> gotcha so would you say that 
since your accident, you've you've gotten more into deer hunting. Oh, definitely, definitely. I okay. I live eat, live and you know breathe deer hunting now. So I mean, I, I've I've maybe waterfall hunted twice last year. You know, I like to get out with the buddies a couple times here, but definitely bow hunting is the way to go now. Well, I guess it's uh, crossbow hunting for me now. Crossbow hunting. Okay, so. Yeah. What is it that drew you more to deer hunting? Was it something to do with your mobility and your hands and, and arms over what you could do with the duck hunting, or is it something else? Well, I, I just I could get out more. I mean, with with being in the hospital and the nursing home, I was in there for just about a year. Hmm. So I just wanted to spend as much time possible as I could outdoors. Gotcha. So I figured if I can get more time in the woods, you know, with my crossbow, let's do it. Gotcha. All right. So it, it became of a, a thing where, you know, I don't want to be inside. I used to be outside, but now I really want to be outside. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you take the little things for granted. I mean, you know, looking out a hospital window, I'd rather look out of the window of a deer stand any day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. The the tree stand is a much better view. Oh, definitely. No question. All right. So, so you you did a little deer hunting when you were younger, and now the the accident occurred, and now you're all in. You're all in outdoors. The deer hunting has become something a little more special to you, and you're you're doing bow hunting with a crossbow. So, yep. tell me about how how that kind of developed. What 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 brought you to wanting to get into the crossbow aspect of deer hunting? A lot of my buddies, they always bow hunt. And um, my brother's big into bow hunting. My buddy Shane's big into bow hunting. And they said, hey, um, from day one of my accident, they said, hey, we're not going to, you know, let this change change our lives. You're still going to go do the same stuff you did. And we're going to get you out there to do as much possible we're not going to let this change our lives i mean yeah we might have to do it a little bit more different but we're just gonna you know hit the ground running with it basically so i mean they were over you know shooting shooting bows and they said hey let's let's get a crossbow why not let's try it out we got me hooked up with a crossbow i um i got a piece of adaptive equipment um that hooks onto my bow that I can hold because without the grip in my hands, it makes it virtually weightless. Like I could let it go and it pretty much just stays in the one spot, which for me, I mean, that's a lifesaver because otherwise, I mean, I wouldn't be able to do much at all. That hooks to my bow, that hooks to any types of guns that I want to put it to. It it just works great. Gotcha. So you're surrounded by a good group of fellas, it sounds like, a, a posse, so to speak, a good group of hunting buddies. Yeah. Yep. Well, let's let's run down your hunting buddies. Well, um, my brother Brandon, he uh, he's always been there for me. I guess we'll go back a little bit here. Uh, he had a twin brother that in 2010 actually passed away from a, a rare type of infection, and that right there has really been my drive to you know not give up on anything because I can see from the other hand you know how easy it could be to give up in a situation like i'm in right now but with my brother with our brother passing away it's just i know how you know fragile life can be and i know how much worse it could be you know i couldn't be doing any of this i you know so it just it helps me push forward and makes me want to just keep going in some weird way i i believe everything happens for a reason 
and you might not know at the time when my brother passed away, you know, what's, you know, there's no reason for this, but in a weird way about it, I mean, I think of him every day and he pushes me forward. So in a roundabout way, that's one heck of a reason to, you know, keep yourself pushing forward. Right. Who else is part of your group? Uh, my buddy Shane, um, he uh, he really pushes me on. He helps me, you know, doing food plot prep and stuff like that. And he'll come out. We like to do some videotaping here and there and just getting out there. But otherwise, uh, my dad, he is a big supporter. He, he moved out here with me after the accident. And he gets me out to the blind. And he's always the guy that's bringing me in from the blind every night. Um, without him, phew. I don't know what I'd do. I'd uh, really be stuck inside a lot more, definitely. Okay. And and how does that work as far as coming to get you in the blind? We figured out that uh, it takes a, I mean, even though my action track chair goes, I don't know, maybe four or five miles an hour or something like that, it takes quite a bit, uh, you know, if you want to go a mile back in the woods, it's going to take you a while to get there. So we figured out we got a four by six utility trailer that we hook up to my four wheeler oh. and I drive up into that. Um, we drive out to the either, I don't know. I got a couple different properties around here that I'm allowed to hunt, drive out to the woods. We drop the trailer and, uh, we hook a bag on the back and somebody usually carries my bow into the woods. We get out to my stand. They have to, cause because I can't get up, obviously. Uh, they got to unzip the blind for me. They get me in there, get me situated, get my stuff all set up. Um, if there's any cameras out, they go change the cards for me. Mm-hmm. And um, come up, say, hey, good luck, zip the blind back up, and they head her on out. And it's just me and the great outdoors for the few gotcha. hours that I, you know. Gotcha. So you don't, the the chair doesn't go with you into the blind. Nope, nope, the chair does. It's an uh, oh, action tractor. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Without that, I mean, that's that's my legs now. That thing can go through anything, up any hills, through water. I mean, last year during gun season, we had almost two feet of snow before season, and that thing plows through the snow. Oh, yeah. It's like it's like a mini tank. I mean, I can go over rock piles. I can go over logs. It's it's a great invention. It's, a, it's an amazing piece of work, and... It's a nice tool to have with you uh, if you need to get around the woods. Um, oh, definitely. And, and it's difficult otherwise. So the the track chair is probably adding to your life, I would say, in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. the tra- I consider the track chair is basically my legs. Okay. I mean, I can go anywhere that I went before. I mean, besides climbing up in a tree, that's about it. Okay. So d- what else do you bring into the woods? You said you, th- you throw a backpack onto your chair what what is in the backpack and what do you do for like scent control and uh the weaponry what are you bringing out there to make you a more successful hunter well i uh i have a 10 point crossbow that i use um i use scent killer just the scent killer stuff i have a heater bodysuit, which that is another lifesaver i mean i don't have to bundle up like i would otherwise and especially without being able to feel my legs that that i mean i can go sit out in 15 20 degree weather for four or five hours and by the time i get back to the house my legs are still very warm which it's very nice i don't have to worry about that while i'm out there um otherwise i uh for well the the bodysuit is camo already my chair is already camo um i use natural camo face paint which is really nice I, i don't know 
blinds I use, I use Baronet blinds. Okay. Which they their design, their motto, I guess, is they like to use big blinds, which is perfect because the chair isn't small. So I mean, I can fit myself in there, my dad in there, and with some of the other blinds, we could almost double the size and fit a couple other guys in there for like turkey hunting this year. I believe we had four or five guys in one blind. Holy smokes! All right, uh, that's just uh, painted a visual that I I did not expect to get. No, these blinds are massive, or they can come massive. Yep, you can get them for you know small for just a single you know single bow hunter, but for me it works out nice, especially for when we bring the camera out there when we want to videotape hunts. Right. Wow, that's awesome. All right, so they they come equipped for many hunters, and being able to move around a little bit probably helps you out a lot. Um, what is it? What do you do as far as the terrain? I mean, you you can get out to the the blind. But what kind of terrain are we talking about that you're hunting? Out here, we have a lot of agriculture. Like I said, uh, we have a big farm across the road from us here. So the chunk of land that I'm actually hunting, the piece of woods is at tops, maybe a seven-acre chunk of woods, but it connects to a very large chunk of woods. What I'm in, actually, where I'm sitting is I'm in a bunch of oak trees, and I'm looking out into like a natural... Um, natural funnel for the deer, just open tall grass, which on the other side of that, it's not very big. I would say maybe 50 to 60 yards wide. Then on the other side of that, it is a uh, cedar swamp. So, I mean, you can't really ask much for much more for whitetails. And the woods that I'm in is surrounded by, I would say, 160, 200 acres of cornfields. So. Gotcha. All right. So it's perfect whitetail habitat. And Wisconsin in general is some of the most amazing whitetail habitat that you can find in the country. Oh, I agree for sure. So you've got it good there as far as whitetails best you can do. Yep. Whitetails and a lot of turkeys too. Yep. So keeps you busy in the spring. And I think that the, the, the pictures that you sent in to us were, were some massive deer and probably making many a hunter jealous across the United States as we posted that. Uh, because the the deer is just they're f- tremendous. In fact, I'm looking at your Skype picture right now, and it's of a, a I'm going to guess, a, at least a 10-pointer. 12-pointer, yeah, yeah. 12-pointer. Um, and the, the tines in the entire length of the, of the rack in the picture are sticking above the tracks on your track chair. Oh, yeah. He he was a beautiful buck. I uh that was that's a memory for sure right there. That's awesome. How many times do you get out in the woods during deer season these days? Well, uh, believe it or not, last year I got out 50 times, 50 times awesome. out there, and I won't have it any other way. Would you say that being out there that often increases your success? And the reason I ask that question is I often ponder, like, what is it that makes a hunter successful? Is it skill set? Is it hours in the woods? Is it the time you put in? Is there actually just a factor of luck in there? Oh, luck. I think luck's got to be your biggest thing. But the amount of time you put in, I mean, that's that definitely is a big factor in it. Because, I mean, you get some of those people that go out there in one day and they're done. There we go, big 10-pointer. But it just never seemed to work for me. And I, a lot of patience. You put the time in, and it will pay off. Gotcha. All right. So, does the does the fifty days a year help? 
Oh, definitely. It's not all one stand that I'm doing this because you put 50 days in at one stand. I mean, that's you're probably going to be pushing quite of a bit. Of course, you know, you're going to disrupt the natural travel corridor if you're out there 50 days in a row. So you have to move around. So you must have some some different properties that you're hunting as yep, you stay. Yep, I have uh, one stand that I'm over my food plot in. I have another stand that I set up once the corn comes off that I'm out in a cornfield then. I have another one down the road that I'm near a creek and uh, open area. So, it you know, different areas, different times of year, and it just seems to work out. And when you say stand, are you, are you in a blind each time? Yep, I'm in a blind each time. Okay, right. there, there, there's a few times that I set up where I just kind of went in the brush with my chair and we brushed me in pretty good. Okay. Would you like to see some kind of a development in tree stands for somebody in a track chair? That would be pretty awesome. If okay. they could figure out a way to get you up in a tree quiet enough, that would be awesome. Because right. being in a blind, you can only see so much. And being in a chair, you can't turn around as much without making the amount of noise. So you're pretty much stuck kind of facing one direction and be able to see a little bit left and right. It seems like there's some kind of tech. I mean, we, we've gone to the moon. It seems like we should be able to get into tree, tree stands no matter what the circumstances are. Yeah. You know, just a thought. What's your strategy? I mean, how do you decide which, which stands to hunt, when and why? Well, I guess it uh, depends I do. I put a lot of cameras out, and I, I like doing that. It's it's a good uh, hobby, I guess you could say. Um, depends what's showing up on camera, um, the time of the year. You know, you know a stand when you're going into it, like, oh, this is going to be a better stand. That's going to be better for the rut, or this is going to be better for early season, just by what you're going by on your pictures. You know. Okay, so <clears throat> so you're going more or less based off of what you're getting on your camera. Yep, camera and like past years' experience too. Okay. And do you care about, like, wind direction and where you think the deer are hanging out, where they're going to come from compared to where your stand is at that point, or your ground blind, or does that not factor in as much? Um, wind, definitely, I would say, is a big factor also. Um, that's, I guess, every night before I'm going, a- afternoon that I'm going out hunting, I'll uh, check my phone, or once I get outside, I'll kind of look around, see which way the wind's coming from, check the phone, and see what way it's planning on staying for the whole night, and if the wind's in my favor for one blind over another one, that's one I'm going to go to for sure. Okay. All right. So you do do some of the strategies as far as downwind from whatever area you think the deer might be bedding in and leaving in their attempt to go to wherever they're feeding. Kind of yep. Thing. Okay. Yep. All right. So the same tactics basically apply in where you're hunting in Wisconsin. And how many, how many properties do you have that you can pick from? I have uh, – Two or three different ones at any given time. Okay. And how do you go about acquiring properties to hunt in Wisconsin? Well, I'm lucky enough here that uh, I'm pretty good friends with a lot of the neighbors around here. And um, within a mile from my house here, I have the properties that I can go on. I, I talk to them. I know most of them personally for quite a while now. And they're more than willing to let me get out there and hunt them. So okay. I'm very fortunate for that. Nice. And are you looking for more property or are you pretty happy with what you got? 
I'm I'm very happy with what I got here because I mean I can pretty much go out my back door and be out into my blind within you know 15 or 20 minutes completely set up. Gotcha. So I mean I I I, sh- I don't I'm not supposed to spend a long periods of time in my chair for mm-hmm. pressure and stuff like that. Sure. So it it works nice to be quick. I mean if I have to drive an hour somewhere that's cutting an hour into my hunting time also. Right. Right. Okay. All right. And what time of day do you hunt? Do you typically do a morning and an evening hunt kind of thing, or do you hunt all day? How does how does that all work out? Specifically, when you when you say that you're not supposed to be in your chair for a long period of time, how do you decide how long and and which time of day? Well, most of the time I'm hunting afternoons, just because that's much easier for finding somebody to get me out to the blind. And then my dad can always come once he's done with work. He'll come out there once it gets dark and get me. But um. When it gets towards the rut, then I'll try to really push it and be like, hey, Dad, uh, how about tomorrow morning? I think we can get up early and get out there. (laughs) Gotcha. All right. So you kind of get it going. You stir it up a little bit more when it's time. Yep. You know, the rut, it's a great time to be out there. And then for some reason, the the rut, the mornings just seem to really pay off. Gotcha. And and I love morning hunting. I think it's some of the best that you can get. And second best is evening hunt. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. So let's go on a deer hunt, Kyle. I want to I want to kind of get a play by play, slow down your most memorable deer hunt that you've had. I don't care if it's recently or a long time ago; it doesn't matter. But I I want to kind of pick your brain and go play by play how your most memorable deer hunt went down, and and let's slow it down a little bit so we can feel like we're sitting with you as right. as things happen. Where are we going? All right, we're going to go back to the very last hunt last year, okay. which is the last afternoon of the season. Okay, we and we're in Wisconsin again. Yep, we're in Wisconsin here. Um, we started out, uh, I think we had four or five inches of snow on the ground. Okay. Um, God, I'd probably get up, about, probably about one in the afternoon, I'm getting ready to go out there. All right, what, you know, what month is this? This is January now. January. Okay, so you guys yep. have a fairly late season. All right, so it's January 2000, and it's this year, so 2016. Get out there. I get into my tractor. To get into my tractor, we take a Hoyer lift, which picks me up out of my regular wheelchair, and then we pull me over and set me into my tractor. Get me in that. We zip up my bodysuit. I pull on to the back of the four-wheeler trailer, get all my stuff loaded up on there, uh, we drive out to the woods, drop the tailgate on the trailer. Most of my, I have, I have a pretty good path going through the woods because I can't really walk over sticks. So we try to clear everything out so we can get into the woods as quiet as we possibly can. So I haven't hunted this stand in, I don't know, two or three days probably. Okay. And we ended up having a snowstorm right before that. So pretty much just like going through brand new trail you can't really tell where you're going just busting through the snow um we make it out to my blind dad unzips it he props the doors open for me to pull in Uh, i pull in we take the bag off the back of my chair we set my adaptive equipment up we hook the bow onto it we spray me down completely with the scent away Mm -hmm. i also uh, i bring a couple when it gets cold out there i bring a couple blankets to put on my lap to kind of rest the bow on so I have more of a steady aim. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. 
Yep. So we get that um, spray down very good. Dad on Dad zips the blind shut. He stands next to the side window and you know gives me my final uh, good luck. Shoot straight and I'll see you at dark of the season. <laughs> very nice. All right. So, so see you, Dad. Uh, yep. I'll see you in a bit. Good luck, son. Yep. And uh, him knowing that uh, I wasn't. I wasn't, I, I got, got a doe earlier in the season and I passed up quite a few smaller bucks throughout the season too. So I wasn't going to take a little one on the last day. So he heads on out and pretty much kind of just let the woods calm down. I, uh, I have a, usually have a range finder on me and by the end of the season now, I already have a couple landmarks picked out. So I know how far everything is away. Kind of let the woods calm down for a little bit. Yeah. I kind of make it a little bit of a ritual. I, I talk to my little brother every night that I'm out there, just right. say a little prayer and, sure. you know, ask for a little good luck. Hey, it's the last day. Let's get this done. And um, pretty much just relaxing, enjoying the outdoors. Uh, being the last day, I wasn't really expecting to see a ton. I mean, I, I had a, quite a few does on camera, but uh, what really drove me to get out there was I started getting a few picks at night of the buck that you were talking about earlier. That's a 12 pointer. Yeah. And that's like, well, you picked a kind of a bad time to show up here. I only got one day of season left, <laughs> but Hey, we'll get out there and give it a whirl. And, um, I was sitting there and it had to be right around four o'clock. So I had about half hour, 45 minutes of light left, something like that. And off to my left, about 75 yards away, very thick grass that happens, of course, to be the same color as deer. So I thought I saw a little bit of a flicker, but nothing. And maybe about five minutes passed, and all of a sudden he turned his head. And I went, whoa, there he is. I, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. How far out? And he was about 75 yards away. Okay. And, yep, and he was heading north at the time here. So I was like, well, hey, I got to see him. I, the only, the only pictures I had of this deer was a few pictures at night. And, uh, my brother actually had him about three miles down the road before season in full velvet, but that's all we saw of him. So, I mean, he really st stood under the radar whole season. So, um, he started heading off to the North a little bit and he got behind some trees and I couldn't see him and I'm waiting for him to come out the other side and to my surprise, he ends up turning around and he's coming back, quartering towards the south now. And he's quartering towards my left shoulder, going towards the woods that I'm sitting in. Okay. So he's coming and there he goes, disappears again. Think to myself, well, hey, I got to see him twice. I'm a happy guy. That made my season right there. I didn't even need to shoot him. And um, let, the, let the time pass a little bit, you know. Settled my nerves a little bit here. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, hey, I got there's a little bit of time left here. We could pull this out, and um, maybe five minutes later, here he comes sneaking along the edge of the woods, right out on the woods and the tall grass, and yeah. just a few steps and stop. A few steps, stop. Were you doing any rattling or calling or anything at that point? Nope, not at that time. It was it was way too late in the season okay. for right. trying something like that. Uh, sure. I, had, I had a food plot out there, and I. I had lots of tracks out in the food plot, so I knew that it, there was a lot of deer around, so I figured that's what he was coming for. So um, the only dilemma I had now is he's coming from my left, and I have two shooting lanes, hmm. and my bow is facing my right shooting lane, not my left one from where he's coming from. Right, right. 
and it's probably i'd say 20 degrees out so you know when it gets cold that anytime you move something's gonna creak so i did my best to slowly slide my bow over to the left uh shooting lane and not fog the scope up i mean you don't have to worry about that with a regular bow with a crossbow though I, uh, that would have been game over right there <laughs> but um right I uh, I waited he a couple more steps and he finally sticks his head out in the shooting lane, takes two more steps and I put uh, my finger on the trigger and without my fingers being able to move I put I have a thing that goes on my hand that looks kind of like a J hook yeah. that's metal so I slowly put that onto the trigger and I pull my arm slowly back and I watch my red lighted knock bury behind the front shoulder. Very nice. Uh, Oh, and I knew I knew it had to be a good hit because that snow turned red in a hurry. That's a good hit. And then what happened? Um, he took off straight into the cedar swamp. He um, ran maybe seventy-five yards, hit the edge of that cedar swamp. I saw him take a couple steps, and he slowed down, and he disappeared beside some uh, trees again. So I called myself down. I. By then, I'm I'm shaking like a leaf. And believe it or not, I got tears of joy just flowing down my face. just couldn't believe it happened. Once the shaking calmed down a little bit, I gave my dad a call, and he answers. He goes, well, how big is he? And I said, (laughs) I got the 12-pointer. And he goes, no way. I said, I'm not lying, man. He goes, oh, all right, well, uh, I'll be right there. He threw his boots on, and he was to my stand within – by the time he went past my trail camera from where I shot the deer, it was seven minutes, I want to say, from the house to going past there, getting me all out of my stand and everything. So he was hauling some butt, that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, we we get down there. Um, we uh, get close to the cedar swamp there, and I wasn't going to go down in there because it was pretty wet still because everything the ground wasn't froze solid yet. Right. So um, I stopped, and he ended up going down there, and all, I'm sitting there, and I got my hands crossed, and I'm praying. I'm like, oh, he's he's still walking. He's, he's not saying nothing. All of a sudden, he goes, found him, pulled him out. He drug him out of the woods and celebrated with a big old hug and thanked the good Lord. Nice. That's awesome. What do you remember most about that day? The most about that day was uh, just sitting out there and, like I said, talking to my brother, just thanking, thanking the good Lord that I'm able to be out here hunting. And just it was just a beautiful day. Everything just seemed to work out perfect. Gotcha. Beautiful moment by yourself, taking it all in. Yep. That's Nothing awesome. better. What would you tell people who have gone through – a similar accident like what you have and you they're on the fence or they're not thinking about getting back into what they were doing what would you say to somebody knowing what you know now don't don't stop what you were doing before just i mean i've i mean i i've learned so much since then everything now seem it's twice as rewarding as it was the first time around um it don't let anything hold you back. Anything is possible. Whatever you set your mind to, you can do it. And I'm I'm lucky enough to have some good buddies and good family around that are willing to help and put the time in to help me out there. And we're actually that's what we're trying to do now. Um, with everything being 
when you put a medical term on stuff or a handicap term on stuff, that just that adds that it skyrockets the price on stuff, such as um, your hunting equipment, adaptive equipment. So now that we have finally figured everything out, mm-hmm. we want to help others get back to the outdoors because somebody's not going to go spend, say, $500 on something that they've never tried before just to say, oh, well, I don't like this, you know. So why not, you know, give somebody an opportunity to try it out to say, hey, I like this. I'd like to stick the time and money into trying this out myself. I got a tri-tune boat that we have fully set up for uh, fishing, Mm. which not many people that are in a wheelchair ever think that they can get out on the water again. So we're, we're trying to get other people out there to, you know, take them fishing because they don't have the means to get out there, you know. Sounds like you're you're spending time showing people that this is possible and that don't don't shut off what your life was like before. In fact, in some ways, it could enhance it. Oh, most definitely. I had a, a fella meet me in the hospital the when I was in there within the first couple of weeks, and he just he set my my tone straight. I guess you could say hmm. um, he he showed me that he could do anything he wanted to do. He was going to be a teacher. So right then and there, I just set my mind and I said, Hey, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to have a good time doing it. Right. It's not a setback. It's just a little something we got to get through. Then, then, then game on. Oh, just, just a little bump in the road. Right. Do you think as hunters that we take a lot of this stuff for granted? Yes. I, I, I definitely enjoy everything so much more now. I mean, just like you said, little things. I mean, sitting out there and just, even if all you're watching is birds, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So many people don't realize a good time when they're having it. And I know now that you just got to keep on keeping on and realize the good times when you're having them. Smile, laugh, have a good time. Right. Definitely. That's awesome. That's awesome, Guy. I love the message, and thanks for doing what you're doing. I have 10 rapid-fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yep. All right. What's your number one hunting tip of all time? Patience, patience, patience. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a real good one. Uh, what's, your, what's your biggest pet peeve? When you got somebody in the blind and they don't know how to be quiet. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's problematic. I have that with my son. Although, and when I'm with my son, it doesn't bother me because I know it's part of the game. Oh, exactly. All right. So we all have these things that we'd like to bring into the blind with us. And if we leave it in the truck or at home, it drives us insane, man. I sure wish I had that blank. What's that one thing for you? Range finder. Range finder. Very common answer. Yep. All right. So you're at a hunting convention and a stranger comes up to you in the, the lobby and says, what do you do for a living? What do you tell them? I hunt and fish. Uh, I love it. I, uh, nothing better than, I mean, now since my accident, I, I spend the majority of my time outdoors. If I'm outdoors, I'm happy. Right. How old are you today, Kyle? I'm 26. 26. All right. Knowing what you know now about life and everything that you've experienced up until now, what would you tell the 16 year old Kyle Rosner? Don't take the little things for granted. Live life to the fullest. And love every day. Nice. Love it. You get your own billboard. You can put anything that you want on it, period. What does it say? 
Everything happens for a reason. All right. What'd you have for breakfast this morning? I had a granola bar. A granola bar. All right. Yep. That's a very common answer, actually. It's, it's yeah. kind of ironic. That, <laughs> and, I, and I always think it's the, you know, it's it's always the people that are kind of on a diet. But turns out everybody has granola bars for breakfast. It's something quick and easy. If I say the word successful to you, who's the first person that pops into your head and why? My little brother, Brent Rosner. I'm with you on that one, 100%. I mean, he, he passed away at the young age of 17, but he accomplished more than most people do in a whole lifetime. Gotcha. What's a day in the life of Kyle Rosner look like? Ah, let's see here. I wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, usually just kind of, if it's nice outside, try to spend part of the day outside. If it's hunting season, definitely out in the blind or fishing season, I'm out in the boat and yeah, just spending time outdoors. So you get up, you have breakfast, go through your, your normal get ready for the day kind of routines. Yep. The whole, uh, it's not quite the, the normal getting dressed. You got to have, I have someone, a CNA that comes in every day that kind of helps me get up, get ready, okay. get showered. If I got to get showered and, uh, know spend the day usually doing something around the house um then get back into bed which i also need help getting to and okay you know spend the night hanging out with my dad usually and then heading off to bed heading out all right and what's a deer hunting day in the life look like compared to your normal routine oh oh well the night before there's usually not too much sleep because i'm pretty excited but uh that's uh well if i'm hunting in the morning, you know, getting up early. Usually the getting dressed process goes a lot faster when I'm going out hunting. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like it always gives you a little extra pep in your step. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, get out there. Oh, oh, yeah. It's just something about getting out there, you know. The, the unknown of what's going to happen during the day hunting. That's right. Is it going to happen or is it not going to happen? You never really yep. know. And the only way you're going to know is if you actually get out there. Yep. As much as you possibly can. Late. Yep. Otherwise, uh, I think everybody knows how that goes. You're uh, laying in bed, you check your trail cameras the next day and realize, wow, I should have been hunting. Right. Because a big buck walked in. (laughs) I should have been hunting because there was a big buck that walked in. That's right. I should have been hunting. That is the answer. Uh, Kyle, this has been a fantastic interview. Thanks for opening up and telling us your life story and what happened to you and being that in, in encouragement for people that are, are thinking they, they can't get back out there and do what they used to do and your inspiration and for me and for all kinds of people. So keep doing what you're doing and, and, and thanks for joining us on the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Kyle Rosner is just a pure inspiration. I love his positivity. He keeps it moving forward, and he encourages others to do exactly as he has done. As he says, a tree stand is a heck of a lot better view than a hospital bed. So get yourself back out there. I know you know life definitely throws you some wrenches sometimes, but always find a way to overcome and make the most of it. If you're going through life and you haven't learned how to hit them curveballs that life throws at you, you need to figure it out. That's right. Yeah. And, and deer hunting might be that drive you need to get back out in the woods. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. It just, it, it's a mental, it's a mental curing, almost like a therapeutic yes. session when you go to the woods. Yes. It's a drive. It will give you a motivation. It is 
therapy as you sit there and take in the, the woods and the surroundings and the experience that hunting brings and only hunting can bring. Absolutely. The, the, talking about the woods, Joe, Jay brings up a great Chubby Times tip for you guys. All right. What do we got for a Chubby Times tip of the week? The Chubby Times tip of the week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentucky Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morsessportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods. You know, talking about being in the woods, Jay, that uh, brings up a great uh, chubby times tip of the week. You know, a lot of people say that, you know, I, I got a little bit of an issue with my back. I can't walk real far. I've had this leg injury for many years, and it's finally got me to the point where I just, I can't walk way back in the woods like I used to to kill them big bucks. So, you know, if, if you really want to kill a big buck and you really or got the drive to go hunting, but you, maybe you got a disability or you, you got an issue that won't allow you to travel way back deep in the woods like you think you would need to be, you know, if you can get somewhere that's either a road crossing or a, a bedding area is close by, you, you can kill a, a nice mature buck out by the road. You don't have to go super deep back in the woods. Now, I'm speaking from this from experience. I've got literally a five-acre patch that's a deer cross-through, and, and I know for a fact that this year I will have at least a 190-plus-inch Ohio whitetail passing right down this little patch of woods. And my, my probably my farthest away from the road I can get is 150 yards, and I'm going to run into a creek. 150 yards in the road, I'm going to hunt the guts out of it. I know there's big deer passing through there. That being said, though, keep that in mind. If you've got an issue that you cannot get back into the woods, and, and, you know, there's multiple things that could be wrong that you can't make it back deep into the woods. Sometimes you don't have to be that far off the road to kill a nice mature whitetail. Keep that in mind. Set it up like you was hunting deep in the woods and, and just be there and hunt hard. Love it. Very, very nice. Thanks to Morse's Sporting Goods for sponsoring the Chubby Tines Tip of the Week. Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out here on the microphone? Shoot me an email right here at dusty at bigbuckregistry.com. You can look me up. Chubby Tines Outdoors on Facebook, or you can shoot me a, an ad on Instagram at Chasing Antler. Jay, how can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? Sure, man. Well, definitely go check out Dave's first kill of the, of the season over there on Instagram. We are, we're on Instagram, Instagram.com forward slash Big Buck Registry. If you want to reach out to me personally, either give me a call at 724 613 2825 and leave me a message if I don't pick up. Or shoot me an email. It's probably the best way. Jay at BigBuckRegistry.com. Again, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the show if you really love it. Leave us a five-star review if you really enjoy listening to the show. You can become a patron of the show by going to BigBuckRegistry.com forward slash donate. And there are various prizes there that you can do at different levels of patronage. And we sure could use the help. We have some sponsors on the show, but your help is also needed. So so check that out. Uh, Twitter.com forward slash Big Buck Registry. Facebook.com forward slash Big Buck Registry. If you'd like to have your Big Buck featured on our Facebook Wall of Fame, all you have to do is go to BigBuckRegistry.com forward slash my buck, and all the instructions will be right there. And we post about five to six bucks a day that have been sent in over the last year. And certainly uh, as they show up, um, we're, we're kind of running out of pictures. Uh, so definitely send some in and be featured and highlighted in front of 230,000-plus diehard deer hunting fans. And I think that's all the places we're showing up. I'm Jay Scott. And I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't wait. <laughs>